Good morning, everybody. We are going to be, we're down to our second to last sermon in this series on Joshua. So we're going to be in Joshua 23, if you want to turn there for a second. It's a shorter chapter, just 16 verses. So we're actually going to read the entirety of it. Um, and we're just, we're, we're nearing the end of Joshua's life. He's going to say uh, in verse, I believe, 14, or right around there, he says, I am going the way of all people. So, and what he's saying is like, look, I'm dying. I'm, I'm in the last kind of window here. And Psalm 90, 12 says, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain wisdom. And so I want you to keep that perspective in mind that Joshua's recognizing his time as the leader of the people of Israel is really wrapping up. So where is his focus? Because I think that uh, prioritization, oh, that was a poor word. Joshua choosing to talk about this reveals where his heart is. There we go. I can pronounce those words. Uh, so we're going to be in Joshua 23, if you will, please read along or just listen to God's word. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess the Lord just as the Lord your God, you, you shall possess the land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them, that you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations, and as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to fight a flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them, so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you a whip on your sides and thorn in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and your souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you, not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you, if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for how you lead us how you fight for us. We thank you for the truth of your word, God, and, and remind us that this is your word that we are engaging with. So give us hearts free from distraction to engage with your word entirely as we offer ourselves to you in this continuation of our worship. Lord, teach us in this moment. We need you to help us understand. We need you to lead us, and we trust you for these things. 
in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to move through a couple things that we see here in Joshua 23 first. Uh, the first thing that we see in verse 1, you see it pop up also in the second half of 5, uh, verse 14. It's a reminder of God's faithfulness. And this is a callback. Luke, I think my clicker's dead. Oh, nope, there we go. Um, or you magically did it, either way. But this is a callback to what Mario preached on on October 31st. So if you didn't hear Pastor Mario preach on Joshua 21, go back and listen to that today, this week. But throughout 23 in verses 1, like I said, 5, 14, you see a reminder of God's faithfulness. It says afterwards, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, you jump down to verse 5, uh, you shall possess the land just as the Lord your God promised you. You see it again in verse 14. So you see these reminders. Joshua, with some of his last moments as leaders, reminding the people, God is faithful. This is who he is. What he says he will do, he does. What he says will happen, happens. And so I want to ask you guys, is that a good thing? Yes. One person said yes. Good. So is that a good thing that God is faithful? Yes. Do we want him to do what he says he will do? All right. Keep this answer in the back of your mind. I agree with you. I, I agree with all those answers, but keep that answer in the back of your mind as we continue through Joshua. But you see these reminders in one of these last moments of Joshua with the people of Israel. He says, God is faithful. This is who he is. Know this, Israel. You also see a reminder, uh, some of the themes that we looked at way back in July when we started this series. We established five themes of the book of Joshua. And in chapter 23, you see two of them called back that God fights for his people. You see this in the third verse, the fifth verse, 6, 10. Verse 3, As you have seen that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Verse 5, The Lord will push them back and drive them out. Verse 6, Therefore be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. So we looked at these themes way back at the start, that God fights for his people, and that our lives are then meant to be lived in response to that. And we see this throughout Joshua 23 as he's spending this time with the Israelites, giving them this challenge. Hey, God is the one who fought for you. God is the one who gave you victory. God did this. Don't get conceited. This is the Lord's power. This is the Lord that went before you, driving these people out. And then in verse 6, you see that reminder of, okay, so because God fights for you, you respond with strength and courage rooted in who the Lord is. So Joshua is establishing these things throughout verse 23, because he's about to take the people into a very stark reality. And so before he gets there, he establishes this, look, God is faithful. This is who he is. And then he also reminds them, God is the one who fights for us. And this is a lesson that we need to keep in mind just constantly in our lives. Consider these other verses. Isaiah 42, 13. The Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war, he stirs up his zeal. He cries out, he shouts aloud, he shows himself mighty against his foes. Jeremiah 20, 11, But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. In that context of Jeremiah 20, if you would read the preceding verses, he's laying out all the reasons to panic and be afraid. He's saying, all this bad stuff is going on around me. Everybody is saying, be afraid. Everyone is saying, be panicked. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. And it's just this great reminder throughout Scripture that God is the one who fights for us. He's a man of war. He's powerful. He's omnipotent. I mean, he is the definition, the essence of power. 
because it's important that we know Him as kind and as merciful and as gracious and wise, and He is all those things perfectly. All that God is, He always is. Like, God's not a scale where if in a moment He has to be just, then one of His other attributes dips down a little bit. No, God is always perfectly just. He is always perfectly kind. And part of His essence is that He is always perfectly a mighty man of war a warrior of zeal, a dread warrior, a conquering king. And so Joshua gives this great reminder to the people of, okay, this is who God is. Before I lay out these tough lessons for you, before I lay out this challenge, you need to be reminded of who Yahweh is. And he does this in the first part of chapter 23, and it's great, and we, we cannot miss that. Okay, so what we're about to talk about, we're talking about in light of a faithful, mighty warrior, Yahweh, who fulfills his promises, who what he says he will do, he does. And so our lives, like we looked at throughout this book, are meant to be in response to who God is and what he does. God is the initiator in this. God is the driver of this. And we respond to him in our sanctity. As we are being sanctified to be more like Christ, we are responding to who God is. And then Joshua gets into some meat here that's, that's very just A or B. And he lays out two clear options for the people. He's like, look, you're kind of at a crossroads. Not necessarily like you have a de decision right in front of you. But Joshua's looking at foresight, right? We talked about uh, in chapter 22. If you listen to the sermons on chapter 22, when the two and a half tribes set up the altar... They were setting it up for tomorrow. They were setting it up looking forward at, hey, this potential problem could arise, so we want to do something today to ready ourselves for if that situation happens in the future. Joshua does something similar here in 23, and he lays out two options facing the people. I want to reread verses 7, or I'm going to reread verse 6, but really pay attention to verse 7 and 8. So he's, this is who God is. He's faithful. He's fought for you. He's given you victory. He's given you rest. Therefore... Be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done this day. He lays out two options. And one of them's negative, one of them's positive. But what he says, he's like, look, you've got two choices. You've got the idols of the land around you, and you have Yahweh. You've got to pick who you're going to serve. You've got to pick who you're going to bow down to. You've got to pick who's going to get your time, who's going to get your attention, who's going to get your heart. And this is a warning given to God's people throughout Scripture. Exodus 23, 13, Pay attention to all that I have said to you. Make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Deuteronomy 6, 10-14, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. When you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. 
In Deuteronomy, he lays out all these good things are coming because of who God is. When you have those good things, he's basically saying, don't get cocky. And so he lays out, you're going to get a land that you did not work for, with vineyards that you did not plant, and cisterns that you did not dig, and houses that you did not build. He's saying, people, you didn't do this work. You didn't earn this. This was given to you. But if you get cocky, you're going to forget who God is, and you're going to think you're doing fine on your own without him. And you're going to be drawn to the idols, the, the gods of the land around you. It's laid out in Deuteronomy. It's laid out in Exodus. It's laid out in Joshua. Jesus talks about this in Matthew. Matthew 6, 24 and Matthew 12, 30. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Throughout history, God's people have had two choices. God, Yahweh, or other idols. And we're going to look at that, because that's a, that's a long list. But there are two options. There's no middle ground here. It's not like God and. No, it's God is Yahweh. He is my God. That's it. Not, well, I have God and some small idols. See, we go back to the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. And so we think, well, yeah, if I were to rank out my gods, God, you're number one. I'm doing fine. Right? No other gods before you. No, what that means isn't a, isn't a ranking. When it says before, it's not talking about a list. It's saying in the presence of. So if Yahweh is your God, if you say, God, you are my God, then you don't have any other gods in my presence. This isn't, you're my main God, and they're kind of the backups. It's, no. It's God or it's idolatry. And it's laid out very plainly for the people, as this is one of your options. You're going to have to make a decision about it. And then Joshua lays out the alternative. He says, cling to the Lord your God. I love that he uses that word, cling. And it's such a specific word. So I did a deep dive, right? I was like, oh, we're going we're to go to the Hebrew. We're going to look at the roots of it. You know what that, you ready for this mind-blowing, what that word means? It means cling. It means cling to. Firmly grasp a hold of and cling to this. Do you have to cling to something that's easy? If I'm in the middle of a lake with no current, and I'm, I'm floating on a boat, and there's absolutely no motion, do I have to cling to anything to stay where I am? No, right? There's no current. There's no forces moving me in one direction or another. So I can just kind of float there lazily, apathetically, and I'll stay right in the same spot. Now, if I'm in a river, and I'm trying to stay where I am, and the current is moving in one direction, but I want to stay here, am I going to have to cling to something? Yeah. And so Joshua lays out to the people, look, you got to cling to God. This isn't an accidental, this isn't a, oh, hey, I just happened to luck into this without any intentional thought, without any deliberate effort. This is a very specific, active word. This is not passive. And I love that he chooses it. And it makes me think of, if you jump to Hebrews, remember, everything has to point to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So when I read in Joshua where he says, cling to the Lord your God in verse 8, I immediately jump to Hebrews 6, 18 through 19. 
so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. It's talking about Jesus, his death and resurrection. Jesus is Savior. So when I hear the word cling, I mean, I, I just have this mental image of a storm buffeting a ship. And the ship is anchored. And so it stays where it's meant to be. The Christian life is not going to get better accidentally. You're not going to know God deeper by just sitting back and hoping that it happens through osmosis. Well, I haven't cracked open my Bible since 1987, but the person next to me does. I'm just, it'll transfer. No, I open my Bible. When? Uh, normally right around 11:10 on a Sunday morning. Okay, cool. Then when do you open it again? Well, the next Sunday morning at 11:10. But pastor, you know the word. I'll just, I'll just kind of hang out with you and that'll help me know it. It's not how this works. Cling to God. Life is going to take you in the opposite direction from him if we are not actively fighting the current of the world around us. Joshua says, cling to the Lord your God. And then he goes on to explain what happens when we don't. Remember earlier I asked, is it good? Let's revisit that. Is it good that God is faithful? Yes. You want God to do what he says he's going to do. Okay, so do I. Well, that means when God says there are negative consequences that we have to accept that because we're hypocritical if we don't. No, God, I want you to be faithful to your promises that make me happy, but ooh, negative consequences to my behavior? No, no, uh, if you want to change your mind on that, that's okay. Be, be faithful to the good stuff that you say will come for me. Wait a minute, you say there are consequences to my negative behavior? No, I, can, we, can we like just shift that and that not be true? That's hypocritical. If it's good that God is faithful in the good things, then we have to accept that he is faithful in the consequences of negative behavior. And there are very real practical consequences to our sin. Joshua lays these out for the people. As you go on, verses 12 and 13 and verses 15 and 16, and you see, if then same as he says, for if you turn back and cling to the remnants of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you. Verse 15 and 16, just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. God lays it out so bluntly for his people. There are consequences to an idolatrous heart. You will feel these in your life. I am faithful. What I say happens. This is what will happen if you serve other gods. Well, God, I don't like that part of your faithfulness. Can't we go back to the good things? No. We have to accept both. Leviticus 26, 14 through 33, we won't read it, read it on your own. It deals with this powerfully. Deuteronomy 32, 21. Mm -hmm. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. 
I see a lot of Christians provoked to anger with the foolish world around us. Is it possible we are provoked to anger with the foolish world around us because we have made God jealous by worshiping what are no gods? Deuteronomy 32. I've got a hard time escaping that thought. Psalm 16.4. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Psalm 106.36. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. God lays it out time and time again in His Word that we have a decision whether or not we're going to be idolatrous. And when we choose idolatry, there are very real, painful, practical consequences in our lives. And we have to accept this as a reality. And we have to be willing to confront it and do something about it. Because what happens, I want to, I want to, there was a word. There was a word that was in Psalm 106, 36, and in verse 13. Let me catch that same word. Let me reread verse 13. So if you are idolatrous, verse 12, if you are idolatrous, the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you. Psalm 106, 36, they served their idols, which became a snare to them. What's a snare? How's it work? Well, it's deceitful. Anybody watch the show Alone, the History Channel show Alone? Yeah, there we go. So I would die. Like, so the premise of the show is, hey, we drop you off like a million miles from any civilization, and they're, they always, they're like, in this square mile, there's 40,000 bears. And then they're like, you get 10 items. Like, I would die day one, but I so desperately want to do it. Just so I can like have one moment of being like, ah, I'm in the wilderness, and then a bear would eat me. And I would be the very shortest contestant on that show. But they're desperate for food. And so they frequently wind up setting snares. And when they set a snare, they always have the person talking about it. And they're like, okay, I found this game trail where the rabbit runs along. So I'm going to set my snare up here. And I use this very thin wire, and it'll kind of blend into the brush so the rabbit won't see it. And, you know, I put a little bit of bait there so it'll lure him. Like, because there are two options. This will make sure he comes down this path. And they don't tighten right away. If, if here's a snare, the, you know, the, the prey comes into it, and it's in the snare. It is now currently in the snare, but it doesn't realize it until it keeps going. And now, when it's too late to back out, now it's in trouble. And then the snare holds the prey in place, potentially even killing it. And this is how a snare works. It's a place where we're going to interact with it. It's a place where we're going to engage with it regularly. It's not going to be obvious. The devil's not going to come up to you with a neon sign saying, hey, I've got a really bad decision for you. You want to make it? No, it's going to be hidden. It's going to be subtle. You're not going to feel it tighten around your neck right away until you're too far in, and then you're gasping for breath. This is how a snare works. This is the deliberate... I did another dive on this word. Ooh, snare, that's a specific word. Let me see what the Hebrew says. You know what the Hebrew word means? Snare. These aren't tricks here. God's not hiding information from us. This isn't, you know, figure out the riddles and you... No, like, God's like, hey, your idolatry is a snare. It's not going to go well for you. So let's consider this idea in our lives as we consider what a snare is and what it does to us. 2 Corinthians 11, 3, 13, and 14. 
I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For such men are false apostles, deceived. So, verse 3, I'm afraid that you will be deceived by cunning. We looked at this earlier in the series. If you remember when the people from the, the nearby town came and they deceived the men, and they made a treaty with them, they made a covenant with them. We looked at the enemy works in deceit. Corinthians, again, deals with this. So the enemy works in deceit with cunning. And then in those in-between verses, he goes on to talk about specific false teachings that are popping up in the church. And he goes on to describe it in verse 13 and 14. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. If we're looking for the blatant idols in our life, that's not how the enemy works. He works in deceit. He works in cunning. He places a snare where you go most regularly. He baits it with what will draw you in. He blends it into the background so you won't notice it. And then all of a sudden, it's tight around your neck and you're gasping for breath, wondering how in the world you got there and why this life is so hard. Because the enemy uses snares, which are directly tied to idolatry. Joshua lays this out for the people. And so we have to ask ourselves, what snares have we maybe unknowingly been exposed to and accepted? We have to take a long, hard look at our lives. This next section, if we're not willing to be honest with these questions, this is going to be a painful section. It's going to be painful anyway. This was painful for me as I prepped this. This was painful for me as I studied this. I'm not going to ask questions that make you want to come up and hug me. But these are questions that are vital to asking if I want to look more like Jesus. And so let's consider snares in our life. Let's look at an example of this. Joshua 22, just last week, we looked at, you know, potential problem, going to the person with gentleness and mercy and compassion. And then the people being accused respond with gentleness and kindness and mercy and compassion. Do you see that scenario easily playing out in today's landscape? Does that conversation remind you of Twitter threads or, you know, news talking heads, right? Is that, would you describe, hands up if you would say, yeah, you know, the world in 2021 is just merciful, compassionate, humble, gentle, very much interested in just a, a calm dialogue? Does that sound like today's world? No. Okay. So it's not what's laid out in Scripture, but that's how we behave. But I would say a lot of people feel justified in that. Well, I respond angrily because their behavior is, you know, it made me angry. Well, let's consider Scripture. 2 Corinthians, 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writing, and this section is titled, Forgive the Sinner. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. So there's a guilty person. Paul says, don't miss this. Paul says, there is a guilty person who has caused pain to the church, to believers. You have been wronged. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Paul, what? My concern should be for the person who wronged me? I don't want him to be overcome by excessive sorrow. What about me, Paul? What about my emotions? What about my feelings? No, my concern shouldn't be for the guilty person. Paul says, no, it should be. 
Don't just forgive him. Okay, well, fine. I forgive you. Don't talk to me. No, Paul says forgive him and comfort him so that he is not overwhelmed by his sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. This is countercultural. You want to be radical in today's world? I dare you to forgive and comfort and reaffirm your love for the people who wrong you. That's going to stand out. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. So Paul lays out, you have been wronged. I am not denying this. Forgive that person. Comfort that person. Make sure they are not overwhelmed by sorrow. Reaffirm your love for that person. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Why? Verse 11, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Satan loves bitterness. He loves an unforgiving heart. That's his designs. Paul says when you refuse to forgive, when you are unwilling to forgive, when you are unwilling to extend compassion and mercy, when you are unwilling to comfort that person, to reaffirm your love for that person, you have been outwitted by Satan and fallen prey to his designs. Bitterness is the playground for Satan in your heart. Yeah, but Sam, you don't understand. I can't forgive that person because what they did to me. God forgave me my sin against his perfect holiness. Anyone who wrongs me, that's not I'm not perfectly holy. So if somebody wrongs me, they're wronging another sinner. If God can forgive my sin against his perfect holiness, who in the world do I have to think I am to refuse to forgive someone else's sin against me? I mean, you want to talk about ego? Look, God, it's good that you forgave me. But I'm not going to extend that to someone else. And I speak so bluntly on this because if you've heard my testimony, you know forgiveness was a huge part of my testimony. For years, I refused to forgive someone. And I was drinking poison every day. So yeah, if you're sitting there and you're like, Sam, stop picking on me. No, I'm going to keep picking on you because I know what an unforgiving heart does to you. Because it did it to me for years. And I don't want you to be in the same place I was. So this is one example that Scripture lays out where it's clear. It's clearly tied to Satan's cunning designs and plans. And let's bring this back to a big picture look. If that was an example, what's the idol there? Right? Snares are tied to idolatry. So if I refuse to forgive, what am I saying? Oh, I'm worshiping the idol of self. You don't understand. I can't forgive Steve because of what he did to me. Well, I am justified, and I want to be forgiven, but I am justified. I mean, if I refuse to forgive Steve, it's because I'm worshiping at the idol of Sam. I'm sacrificing at the altar of Sam. Idolatry is directly connected to the snares that we get stuck in. And so let's work backwards. How do we identify idols? Because if, if I, the idols exist in our life, and we need to destroy them, we need to be rid of them, well, we've got to be able to identify them. So work backwards using Scripture. What did Psalm 106.36 say? They served their idols, which became a snare to them. Which comes first, serving the idol or the snare? Serving the idol. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. All right, so let's work backwards. What am I ensnared by? 
What chokes the life out of my fellowship with God? My fellowship with other believers, with his church? Because make no mistake in this, the church is a part of this. I want you to envision this scenario with me. Mario, I really care about you. I, I care about our relationship. It's important to me. I love you. I want to invest in what we have. I want to know you better. I want you to know me more. Let's get together Friday night. Mario replies, yeah, that sounds great. We'd love to. Who, wait, sorry, who's we? Oh, well, Jordan and I. Mm, no, I wasn't clear. I, I, I love you, but not your bride. I, I want to get to know you, but man, you're not going to bring her around, are you? You're not going to bring her up. It's, he says it ain't happening, right? Why? Because to love Mario is to love Jordan. To love me. You know when I feel most loved by people? When they do something for my wife. So you cannot separate the church from Christ. Because that conversation sounds ridiculous. We would be so offended if someone said that to us. I mean, if you came to me and said, hey, I want to hang out, I was like, yeah, we'd love to. And you're like, no, dude, I, like I meant you. I don't like your wife. I'm, I'm deleting your number from my phone. That's funny. That's insulting. How many times have we said that to Jesus? Jesus, I love you. I want to invest in our relationship. I want to know you better. But Jesus, you're, you're not going to bring up your bride, are you? Because look, Jesus, I, I just don't like her. Well, Sam, you don't understand. You know, I don't want to hang out with you and Adeline because Adeline's not perfect. Yeah, duh. Guess what? Neither am I. Neither are you. And I'm not, okay, here's where the metaphor ends. Jesus is perfect, okay? Jesus is perfect. Don't, not saying otherwise. But do you think if we said to Jesus, if Jesus came down and said, Sam, why are you so resistant to the church, to my bride? Well, Jesus, she's not perfect. You think Jesus would be like, oh my goodness, I didn't, I never thought of that. Wow, when, when I spoke scripture that says, do not neglect gathering together, when I spoke scripture about the importance of the body serving one another, when I spoke the abundance of scripture that commands fellowship with other believers, I, I wasn't considering that they would be imperfect people. No, Jesus knows every flaw of the church. And guess what? He still says time and time again, this needs to matter in your life. The church needs to matter in your life. So as we consider this idea of snares that keep us from fellowship with Christ, fellowship with God, we are including the church in that because the church matters to Christ. Why does the church matter to me? Because it matters to Christ. And so as we ask these questions, keep that in the back of your mind as well, but consider if we're working backwards to identify the idols in our life, well, what snares prevent us from that? Well, I, you know, I didn't get my Bible time in. And look, we're, not, we're also not talking about some legalistic, I missed one Sunday and so now I'm not a good Christian. You know, my car broke down. No, we're, come on. We're not talking about a legalistic checklist. I'm talking about patterns. I'm talking about look at a month, look at a quarter, look at a year, look at five years. Look at the habits of your life. Don't, if our inclination to hearing something is to immediately seek the exception which frees us from accepting it, we've missed the point. Okay, so we're not talking about exceptions. We're talking about the patterns of our lives. 
Well, you know, I don't spend time in Scripture because I'm, I'm just too busy. Okay, so the snare that is tightened around my neck is busyness. Well, if a snare starts off as an idol, have I worshipped activities? Have I worshipped my job? Have I worshipped the things that have made me so busy to where now the number one priority in my life is everything I have on the calendar? I mean, if my snare is busyness working backwards, what causes that busyness? Has it become an idol? Well, I was going to engage in Bible study. I was going to engage in prayer time at home. I was going to do, but I just, I'm so tired. I just need to relax. I just, you don't understand. I just need to throw on the game and tune out for a second. Okay. So the snare that is keeping me from Christ is my, you know, I just need to relax. Well, one, you see self, I, I need to. And two, relax. So I could go spend time with Jesus. I could go spend time with other believers. I could engage in discipleship, but I'm going to choose relaxation. Have I made entertainment an idol? Have I made my, you know, just mindless, numbing, okay, I just want to sit and be entertained. Is that more important to me than my discipleship? If I'm willing to sacrifice prayer or scripture or worship to sit and veg out, to, to you know, refresh. And also, do I understand scripture? Isaiah says those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. I mean, do we dare think that time in scripture and prayer could be as entertaining as watching Monday Night Football? Think very carefully about how you answer that one. You don't understand, I had a bad day. I had a bad week. Okay. So your frustration, your anger, your emotions, that is the snare, right? I had a bad day. My boss yelled at me for something I didn't do. I didn't get the raise I was supposed to. My car broke down. I got cut off. I went to the grocery store. They didn't have the favorite pizza. Like, I had a bad day. People insulted me. People made me have a bad day. And so I just, I couldn't, you know, uh, I just... That's why I missed my prayer time. That's why I didn't spend time in Scripture. All right, well, have I made my emotions an idol? Where, God, I will only engage with you when I feel like it. When I am at an emotional high, things are going well, I'm happy, life is easy, God, that's when you get me. Things aren't going well. It's been hard. I've been struggling. No, God, I don't have time for you right now. Your emotions are an idol. We have to be willing to say, what ensnares me working backwards? Is it because I've made something an idol? Well, I, I just, I've been so angry at the world that I just, it, it, my head's not in a, a good space. Right? I, I turn on the news. Well, one, take the batteries out of your remote and stop turning on the news. That's easy. But where are snares placed? Where we choose to keep going back to. So we keep returning to the thing that is poisoning us, getting further and further into that snare. And I, I just get so angry when I read these stories that my head's not in the right space and I just, I can't worship. Okay, so that's the snare. Is it because you've made politics an idol? Is it because you've made economy an idol? Financial stability an idol? Whatever it is, we have to ask, if the idols we serve become snares and I'm ensnared by something working backwards, is it because I made it an idol? Joshua lays this out for the people. Scripture continues to talk about this. They're painful questions. 
But if they can lead us to, through Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, cutting out of a snare and demolishing an idol, why would we not want to ask ourselves those hard questions and work backwards? Because the option is plain and simple, just like Joshua laid out for the people, just like it's laid out in Exodus, just like it's laid out in Deuteronomy, just like Jesus laid it out in Matthew. You can't serve two masters. You can't worship two gods. It's Jesus or nothing. It's not Jesus and. There's one Lord, and we have to make ourselves face these realities to answer these questions. So this week, read Jeremiah 5. We've got six chapters, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That works out well, huh? One chapter a day. You all can do that. We can do that. I can do that. Jeremiah 5, Hebrews 2, 3, 9, and 10, Revelation 19. Read these chapters with the question of who am I serving? Am I serving Jesus or am I serving idols? Where am I worshiping? Who gets my money? Who gets my time? Who gets my attention? And not scraps. People make no mistake. I'm not talking about leftovers. I'm talking about your best. If you don't think that's the standard, read Malachi. Read Malachi and look at what God says about people who offer him half-hearted offerings. People who say this service is wearisome and a burden. This is tiring. I mean, if you think God doesn't demand our best and deserve our best, read Malachi. So we're not talking about, God, what can I squeeze into my schedule for you? We're talking about who's the priority. Read these six chapters and identify what we might be clinging to instead of Jesus for purpose, for peace, for joy, stability, whatever word you want to plug in there. Where are we going to instead of Jesus for these things? And I don't know where you all are. I don't know where, I mean, you know, I know general when we talk and stuff, but I'm not, I couldn't go through for every person here and say, this is the idol in your life. So this is going to require honest self-reflection. And then you're going to have to ask, okay, now what steps can I take to start demolishing this idol? To switch from serving it to serving Christ. From worshiping at this altar to worshiping at the cross. Prayer ideas, Lord, teach me to cling to you. Right, that active word, cling. God, teach me to cling to you. Reveal other gods in my life. Reveal the idols in my life. Reveal where I am ensnared. And maybe don't even realize that the noose is tight around my neck. But Lord, reveal this. Because what did we talk about last week with communion? Conviction's a beautiful thing because it affords us the opportunity to repent. So Lord, reveal the idols in our lives. And Jesus, thank you for being victory. Because that's who he is. It all comes back to Christ. It all comes back to the cross and the empty tomb. And then we're throwing in a new one. Connect. Read, do prayer. Right? We've had these. We're throwing in a new one. Connect. Reach out to someone from another household. I expect, I know you're all talking to your spouses and your kids. I know your families are talking about these things throughout the week. So reach out to someone in a different family. Hey, Mike, Steve, what's up? How's your Tuesday going? What do you think about the readings today? This is what I thought. Sharpen one another. Connect with one another. The body is given for iron to sharpen iron. So let's make sure we're pursuing that. But we look at Joshua's last word. He says, I am going the way of all of the earth. This is what I want to say to you. Let's take these words seriously. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for who you are. 
we thank you that you and you alone are worthy of our praise. God, we thank you that you don't set pointless standards for us. We thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit to empower us. We can't do this on our own. We need you. We desperately, I desperately need you, Lord. So move in this body as only you can. Whatever has ensnared us, whether or not we realize that the trap is tight around our necks, God, you're the only one who can cut us free from that. So however painful it may be, Lord, this week, get to work demolishing idols in our lives. We want to choose you. We want to cling to you. We need your spirit to do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Everyone, Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.